this is Kenya, and welcome to my magical cottagecore life. Today, I want to take you down a memory, memory lane, and it's one of those things that if you have been in an interracial or intercultural marriage, you might be able to resonate. Because it's one of those things that was a funny anecdote about my engagement and relationship and later marriage. And it seemed like it was silly, and it is silly, but it was a really important thing to me. So I wanted to share it with you because you might get a kick out of it. So today, take out your big book of stuff. And look for the area on international cuisine. Or maybe the area on interpersonal relationships. Because today, we're going to talk, talk about pierogi, gwumki, and marriage. Okay, let's get started. cooking section or for the international food section we're going to be talking about two very simple but very wholesome dishes the first one being pierogi the second one being gwumki and how they factored into my relationship with my husband you see my husband is Slavic oh he's American he was born in Detroit he was born on, off Tyreman on the west side, so he's from Detroit, just like I was born on the east side, right off Seven Mile. But I digress. <laughs> so, well, he was raised there for the first few years of his life. Then later, he moved out to the suburbs, and that would have been around his time of like elementary school, and that would probably be primary school for you in different parts of the world okay and when we finally did meet and we were hanging out going out and our relationship progressed and it was very serious at that point I am a creature that loves food it's my love language I guess you would call it so I would I would share my dishes that I grew up with or anything I had discovered from my travels and all of my associations and he would watch he would help me in the kitchen one of the things he would do is share his cooking and I share my cooking and that is when I discovered his obsession with pierogi see my husband's family is Polish now his father is German and Polish but the majority of the family lineage is actually Polish the German just kind of snuck in there and the thing is oh and he's also descended from uh, of some sort of Viking line we know this because the disease that affects Vikings is in his family with the hands so yeah He's actually um, of royal lineage, 
which was interesting to me. I didn't know that. But, you know, hey, I'm bragging on my husband. But anyway, that being said, that being said, um, he loves pierogi. I mean, seriously, he loves pierogi. And I thought, well, what is it about the pierogi that's so special? You know, it's just like a dumpling. But no, pierogi for them is like a religion, almost. Well, not literally, but it's very important and is an important part of their culture. Their familial culture as well. Because they would get together, and he and his mom and the rest of the family would get together, and they would make pierogi together. Now, when you make pierogi, this is not a two-minute thing, okay? You can buy those box pierogies and enjoy them, and that's fine. But homemade pierogies take work, and... They take commitment, and they're good, but they're not an, a, a one-hour-and-one-and-done deal. And some of his fondest memories that he would share would be of being in the kitchen with his mom, making pierogi, and putting in enough cheese into the potatoes for the filling so that the spoon would stand straight up. So I'm saying to myself, uh, I better learn about pierogi. Now, this wasn't one-sided, of course. He learned about making brown jambalaya from me. Now, I want to be clear before you all start. Yes, I'm from Michigan. Yes, I'm from Detroit. And I am from Detroit. Born in Hutzel Hospital before you all start. But my jambalaya does not start with a roux. It is based off of a church lady's recipe. Who knew how to make jambalaya thank you and it had to be made the way she taught me because I don't eat pork and this was how she made it now there's several ways to make jambalaya some people use a roux that's really I was taught that's not necessarily the original way to do it I'm not getting into that because it's not my original cuisine regionally but it was from the lady I learned it from. So, take that as you will. So I make brown jambalaya. I don't put tomatoes in my jambalaya. I don't put pork in my jambalaya. But I can adapt it if I had to. And also, I had to learn gwumki. Well, what he learned from me, which is kind of the equivalent of his loving gwumki and introducing the stuffed cabbage to me I really like to make uh, navy beans excuse me northern beans with smoked turkey no they're not the same they're absolutely not the same but when I tell you this man had never had northern beans before didn't even know what it was what it was <laughs> he just went in he just went all in he actually after the first time he had northern beans, he did something that makes me smile to this day. What he did, and this is way before we got super duper serious on our way to marriage, but we were we were getting we were getting pretty close. He he bought a two pound bag. Of dried northern beans because I told him 
to make them properly, they have to be from dried beans. They can't be from cans. Now, before you start thinking I'm judging you, I'm not judging you. But that's just the way I was taught. Because you know why? It's a different texture and a different feel. And that's one of the things we go back and forth about. Because I was taught that beans should be soft and buttery. And he was taught that they should have a bite to them. And I tried to adapt my cooking to him. But it's just not the same for me. And luckily, my friend, uh, Maisha, and I'm not going to clout chase and tell you who she is. If you know me on Facebook, you know who she is. Um, She said, no, it's a regional thing. It's not wrong the way you're cooking. It's regional. It's cultural. So, bleh. I can have my buttery soft beans. But he just thought that it was the best thing he'd ever seen. He bought two pounds of dry beans he bought this big giant package of smoked turkey legs and brought them over with an expectant face and joy in his heart and I just looked at him like I, where am I going to get a big enough pot I said do you know how much this makes he didn't mind got a pot and I made him two pounds of northern beans and do you know what he did He took them home. Pot and all. And I was like, if this man's taking my pot, oh, yeah, he's a keeper. And he's going to bring my pot back. What I didn't know was that he had a treat for me. I was invited to a dinner, I believe it was Christmas dinner, the first one, and I was nervous, and we sat there, and his mom and everybody was very welcoming, and they shared a meal with me, and I had things I had not had before. Now, of course, I know that Gwumki is his favorite, It's, it's okay for me, but beef and rice together even though I like my jambalaya, the texture was throwing me off because it was very tomato-rich. I'm not a huge tomato person. So there was some, some little stuff going on there, right? But when it was time for the chicken keeve, and I know that, you know, you're probably looking at your podcast and saying, it's Kiev. Not in that house. It's chicken keeve. I was taught it's not Kiev, that we're pronouncing it incorrectly. And it is chicken keeve. So, it is chicken keeve, and that's how it's going to be. But I never had that either, and it was just a spiritual experience for me. It was so good. But the way that they devoured the guumki, which I can say now and couldn't say then, was something out of this world. They weren't, you know, overly, you know, ravenous, but they just really enjoyed it so much and he was so happy so I decided then that I was going to if nothing else learn to say Gwumki because I couldn't I kept saying Galumki Gwumki I could not say Gwumki now I can which led to the pierogi incident
So, on my quest to learn Gwumki, and I'll, by the way, I did learn how to say it before we got married. But on my quest to do that, I said, well, in the meantime, I can learn to make pierogies. How hard can it be? And gentle listeners, it is not difficult to make pierogi in theory. The stressful word here is theory. But you really do need to set aside a lot of space and a lot of time. Because it takes a lot of space and a lot of time. I never have actually had my husband eat my pierogi. To this day, he has still not eaten my pierogi. Because of a simple mistake I made in the beginning. The filling was delightful. Even now my pierogi are golden brown and they look great. But he still finds a way to always have eaten first after the first pierogi I made. And to be fair, he went to an all-you-could-eat Polish dinner that night that we couldn't go to because my husband was with his family and my daughter was getting out of school late because she had a program, so I stayed home for the program. That is now his stepdaughter. So... It was a situation where, well, you know, it is what it is. He comes back, and I've made these wonderful pierogi that I've worked so hard on. And I'm smiling, and my daughter's eating pierogi, and she's like, okay, it's okay, we missed it. But he brought back the pierogi from the all-you-can-eat place. So my daughter tossed my pierogi aside and devours those. The betrayal, the disrespect, the devastation to be rejected by my own progeny, well, my own child. So, yeah, because I don't think that's appropriate to say progeny, but I mean, honestly, it wasn't that bad, was it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was that bad. And I'll tell you why it was that bad. You see, I had made a grave error. You see, when you make pierogi, it's a very simple ingredient base. And the main ingredient, of course, being flour. And here's the critical mistake I made. I had mixed my all-purpose flour in a container of self-rising flour by mistake. Yes, yes, what you're thinking happened absolutely happened. Instead of delicate little crescent moon looking beautiful pierogi, because mine, you know, they come out curved now, what I got once they were boiling was giant alien-shaped footballs instead of pierogi. They were pierogi-like. They had a filling. They had a, a doughy coating. But they were the sorriest excuse for a pierogi I'd ever seen. And I smiled, and I, I took the rejection, and I cried. 
for days and everyone laughed at me. They were making fun and I laughed with them, but inside I was so sad. After that, I had a plan. So my plan was, I'm going to learn how to make the best pierogi I can, and my husband's going to eat them. And this is what's going to happen. I'm going to make pierogi, and he's going to eat these pierogi. To this day, he has found a way to avoid eating any of my pierogi. And I, I feel personally offended by that. I took that personally. I, I'm taking it personally. And it's a running joke at this point that if I make pierogi, he won't even try them. Other people have had my pierogi, and they are wonderful now, with the proper flour. And they're tasty and buttery sometimes, depending on what I put in there. And I saute the onions, and they're golden. And he won't eat them. It's, it's one of those weird things that he doesn't want to eat a football that first impression of of me opening up that big giant pierogi in front of him that I had made that first time that was bigger than my hand it was like a baby's leg it was so so doughy and big he had resolved never to eat them because he he's there's a, a taste he's looking for and he doesn't want to have that be that taste. Now he'll eat his mom's pierogies. I've had his mom, my daughter prefers his mom pierogies to anything in the world. Great. That's her yummy. And he'll eat my meat pies. He'll eat my pasties. But he will not eat my pierogi. But I did find the beautiful pierogi recipe. And it is a Lithuanian pierogi recipe. And it's vegan. Which is another reason he refuses to eat my pierogi <laughs> because my husband is not vegan like seriously not so at this point you're saying what about the gwumki well here's what happened with that I learned to say gwumki I learned to eat gwumki I'm still not in love with Gwumki, but I can appreciate the textures and the flavors. And I found a few recipes that don't have quite as much acidity from the tomato sauce. I've substituted Campbell's cream of tomato soup at times for a base. I know, I'm not sorry. But I just, it's something about that taste, it's a little bit too acidic for me which is another reason why I'm not a fan of red jambalaya. As you can hear the cat in the background. Yes, Fluffy, I know. She's saying hello, everyone. So, I decided, I think it was around our fifth anniversary, I'm not sure. I was going to finally make Gwumki. It, it was time. So, I turn on the internet look up YouTube and learn how to make gwumki. And I found a recipe that didn't stress tomatoes. 
it had beef stock. All right, I'm thinking to myself, I can do this. I had big heads of cabbage, because you know we have our own garden. It was going down. And I will tell you, using that recipe to a T, it was the worst Wumpke I have ever tasted in my entire existence on this plane as a living, thinking human. You see, I am from Detroit. We have a very specific taste palette here. And when I say that, I mean to say we have an international palette. We like spice. We like flavors. Dinner at this house can be, for the week, anything from Asian-Mexican fusion to Tex-Mex, could be Polish, could be Russian, yes I do know how to cook that too, could be Ukrainian, which is different, could be, and this is one I like, Newfoundland cooking from Canada, because I've, I've cooked some food from recipes I know from people from Newfoundland. Um, that cold plate, yeah, that that's the business right there. Um, it could be anything, absolutely anything, especially Southern Black American, you know, or African American food cuisine, uh, because I'm ADOS, A-D-O-S, um, American descendant of slavery. Uh, it could also, and this is one of the other ones I rely heavily on, it could be Middle Eastern, specifically Iraqi, Syrian, or Lebanese. Very rarely Greek. I don't have a lot of skill in that yet. But I do do well with Lebanese. That all being said, yes, Fluffy, I went by this recipe and went against my instincts and didn't add flavors and spices that I thought should be there. I said, no, we're going to go exactly by this recipe. My only thought is, is that that person has absolutely no taste buds. There was no flavor. There was no joy. And yet again, I have become the butt of the family jokes. <laughs> but the joking isn't mean-spirited. They laugh with me because there are some things that my husband, Kyle, has tried to cook that uh, have left some things to be desired. And we laugh with each other. And sometimes that's okay. But now, I'm probably not going to get a lot of reception for my Gwumki when I put it on the table from now on. Unless he actually knows that I've decided to put the recipe out of my head completely and season it my way. And that's fine too. But I will say this. Gentle listener, don't despair. There is a dish that he loves that is cultural that I can make and that he does not laugh about or at when I cook it. And that dish is kapusta. 
I am pretty good when it comes to making capusta. And maybe that's because it has elements that I kind of grew up with in my life and things he grew up with in his life. And it's a simple recipe and it's a quick recipe and we can cook it together. And at the end of the day, cooking with the family is about being together. So, if I ever have another night where I try to get him to eat my non-football-shaped pierogi, my guumki, my kapusta, my dill pickle soup, which I'm amazing at, by the way. I make a really good dill pickle soup. If that all goes well, I will definitely let you know. But one thing I brought to the family that they didn't know I knew about, when I was growing up, my mama, the one who raised me, because I have two, you know, I have a biological mama and a guardian mama that was my uh, legal foster mother. My mama, not my mother, used to work for Seafair Foods here in Detroit. And it's now known as Ma Cohen's. And what did she work as? A manager at a place where they made pickled herring. I know you're looking. That's right. Pickled herring is one of the staple foods for Polish culture. So one day I brought home some pickled herring and I think I saw hearts over his eyes because he discovered a flavor palette he'd never known existed in a jar. <laughs> and the rest is history. And my little one, she cooks now and then. And I'm wondering what kind of person she'll wind up with because her flavor palette is so diverse. But that is another story. And with that, gentle listeners, I hope you enjoyed my story about marriage, wumki, pierogi, and kapusta. I'll see you here next time on my magical cottagecore life. <laughs>